Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We've got a lot coming on today's program. Commodity markets are gearing up for tomorrow's big government report release day. USDA will be releasing prospective plantings data, planting intentions report, as well as the quarterly grain stocks. We'll get into that prognostication with Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing here in just a moment. And then in segment two, we're going to turn the focus to the cattle industry. We saw the U.S. Senate uh, take a vote on the Biden administration's WOTUS rule. Justin Tupper, president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, will join us in segment two for a look ahead at what's coming in D.C. And we're also going to talk today with Jeffrey McCoy. He's an attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation. He tried a case of head of the Supreme Court earlier this year, recently got a ruling back, provided some more rights for landowners, particularly those whose property butts up against Uncle Sam's. We'll talk with Jeffrey here before the end of the program. Let's dive in to the market outlook here this morning. Grain trade up in the overnight as the morning begins, though we're seeing some pullbacks. Chris Robinson joins us now. And Chris, do we expect to see the trade be relatively quiet today ahead of the big reports from the U.S.? SGA? Yeah, especially what you see what's happened in the past four days, five days. Right? We've had that bounce off seven-month lows. We have the nasty correction. Um, so, yeah, I think people are, are certainly, if they're not positioned where they need to be, they probably will be by lunchtime. And then, you know, tomorrow, um, you know, we have a USD report every month. This report is generally, uh, historically, has been one that uh, can be a mover. That's why I think you see a lot of interest in this report. Absolutely, Chris. As we start to get some acreage estimates out there, it seems as though a lot of folks are in that uh, 90 to 91 million corn, 87, 88 million soybeans. From your perspective, when you're talking with clients, where do you think these numbers might come in tomorrow? Yeah, I think so. I think if there's going to be any surprises, there was one private service that, that, that was predicting a lot less soybean uh, acres. If that was to come true, uh, you know, that could definitely you know impact uh, new crop soybeans. And you're seeing that in the price discovery, new crop soybeans really had the, the least of the, the worst sell-offs. It's holding up there pretty well at 13 bucks after dipping down to 12.50. So that I think is going to be the, the the key metric that people look at is what's going on with bean acres. Absolutely. Everyone is getting concerned and questioning about how that acreage mix might look in the 23 growing season. But of course, we've got to look backwards as well a little bit, Chris, on Friday with that quarterly grain stocks number. Where are you watching for uh, for clues in this grain market here when that report comes out? Well, you know, the last time we had the, the, the report, uh, the previous USDA, they cut the, the carryout for uh, old crop beans. So we'll see if that continues to go. Now, we've had Steady sales to China in soybeans. They just bought some more this morning. They bought some uh, corn yesterday. Um, that, I think, is one thing people are going to be looking at to see if the USDA adjusts for that continued. It hasn't been gangbusters uh, sales to China, but it's been steady in the soybeans. Uh, corn, corn has obviously you know, been lacking, although they have stepped in there and bought that. But you know, when, when they see uh, uh, corn drop to seven-month lows and spot month corn, uh, you know, it's no surprise they stepped in there and have been buying it. So a lot of people thought that China would have waited longer to get more supplies coming out of South America. But I think it's just like everybody else. If you see a bargain, uh, which that was, uh, they stepped in there and bought some bushels, which, you know, that that is good because we needed that support. The market was looking for support after that nasty sell-off, which is all related to the, the whole uh uh interest rate move and the bank fear. You had a lot of fear movement that fueled that drop in um, old crop corn and beans. Absolutely. That fear is kind of working its way out of the market, Chris. We're bringing that focus back to fundamentals. And one of the key fundamentals in the soybean market in particular right now is that flood of beans coming out of Brazil. Are we seeing any disruptions to the ability of the Brazilians to get those beans onto the global market? You know, we saw some news this morning that there, um, some of the inspectors in, uh, in uh, Argentina are on strike. That happens pretty much every time there's a, there's a trucker strike or an inspection spike strike. 
at the end of the day, the market has been digesting the fact that Argentina, you know, had a smaller crop. There's no two ways about it. But Brazil is, has a, has a uh, you know, record crop. So I think as, as we move forward, the number one thing we're going to watch is, you know, is there really serious disruption or is this just what happens every year? This is the time of year the, the truckers and the, the people that do the heavy lifting down there, they have some leverage. And that seems to happen every year. Uh, if you go back and look, you know, over the past few decades, so it's not unusual. Uh, I think the market's priced in a lot. Now we're going to see if, again, if, if anything's really out of whack here in the next two, three months, uh, the market will reprice. But uh, it's something to definitely keep watch on. It is, and of course, with so much at play in the markets here this year, Chris, looking at tomorrow's report, are you encouraging any short-dated options to manage some of the risk ahead of the report? Are we going in naked? What's your advice here for folks looking at these high prices that are out there right now in the commodity world? Right, and you're correct. I mean, you know, they're not where we were. I'm looking at new crop corn and new crop beans. Uh, old crop, and that's a whole different, you can get lost in the weeds, but what we're looking at is the risks next year. You know, we set it 590 to 6 bucks for three months, and then we had the nasty uh, correction down there, but we held the July lows, that 550 area, 547 area. Same thing for soybeans. We set it, uh, you know, $14. We broke down to 1250 We've come back to 13 So that's a nice bounce. It's a nice mulligan, especially if four or five days ago you were very, very concerned. So I always say this, take what the market's giving you, set a hedge, and yes, you can use these short-dated options now. You know, six, seven years ago, you had to go out and buy, you know, 200 days of time and 300 days of time. Now you can buy an option literally for, for uh, uh, a week or two weeks or three weeks. Uh, definitely something worth looking into because it lets you have a floor so you can sit through these numbers and not be concerned about well, what am I going to do if we drop 50 cents uh, so it's definitely a, a great tool for risk management. And again, buying a put is not getting bearish. You're protecting revenue. I, I can't stress that enough. It's, you keep the upside open, so that's what we all want as producers. Uh, we want you know higher prices. You leave that, that, that higher price available and open to you. But right now, I think that's a good strategy to use a short-term option to, to uh, put a floor in. All right, Chris, turning the focus over to the commodity markets, it seems like this fear moving away from the markets has kind of opened the cattle trade up for a little bit of a rally, saw some strength this week. What are you watching for some upside targets here in cattle? You know, cattle's back. You know, we had a little bit of a correction, but as I'm sitting here this morning, it's a sea of green. Um, you've got April and June cattle, you know, flirting back with running. If you look at June cattle, you know, we're back at that 160 level. We paused at 162. If you look at the cattle trend, though, that has been the most impressive rally. Go back to January of 2022 when we were at 142. Here we are at 160. It's just been, yes, we've had corrections, no doubt about it. We've had, you know, just like we had the other day, you know, we dropped from 162 to 157. But it just keeps coming back like Rocky Balboa in the first Rocky. It's a very impressive market. The fundamentals are good. Um, and I think that that's something to keep, a, keep an eye on, that that's a bull market. It is. The fundamentals are good. I love to hear that. Chris Robinson, Robinson Ag Marketing. Thanks so much for joining us here today, Chris. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. And folks, stay with us. When AOA returns, we'll talk with Justin Tupper, president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, about some things that are changing in Washington, D.C. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. 
Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We're going to turn our focus to things developing in Washington, D.C. The Biden administration has written a new WOTUS rule. It has been hotly contested in the courts, and it has been hotly contested in Congress. After a vote yesterday, we're going to talk about what that rule means for cattle producers. Joining us today is South Dakota cattleman Justin Tupper. He serves as president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. And Justin, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You know, as we think about all of the issues pending in Washington, D.C., WOTUS is one of those that we've been grappling with as an industry for some time. Justin, from the perspective of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, how are you feeling about the Biden administration's rule and the Senate vote yesterday to repeal it? Yeah, I think that's a very clear message that uh, uh, we definitely are, are not in favor, and we want to make sure that uh, uh, we can go back to some of these WOTUS rules that make sense. Uh, it seems like common sense kind of goes out the window. Uh, we get into these uh, discussions about uh, who owns the waters and, and who ought to be regulating them, and I think out in ranch country, uh, it's a pretty uh, common and clear consensus. Uh, that we want to leave it the way it's been, and 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 we like the Trump era policies that uh, we're overseeing, Lotus. Absolutely, and of course, you're still active in Washington D.C., pushing for that approach—an approach that uh, Justin would allow farmers to look at the land and determine whether or not it's a wetland. Right? The idea is not have so many uh, outside consultants come in and make these decisions. Right? Absolutely. I mean, I think the the best stewards and the best uh, uh, people in position to uh, make those judgments are the ones that are out there working the land and have been doing it for generations. Uh, we don't need somebody to come in and tell us uh, that that's uh, all changed and going to be different when we've done it generationally 
uh, in one way, and, and that's what we believe ought to be left alone. So a lot of government overreach. I think it was, like I said, a very, very clear message when you have the Senate and the House uh, rejecting Biden's WOTUS rules. That is a really good point. The Senate vote was yesterday, and it was a bipartisan vote to repeal Biden's WOTUS rule, but that follows the House vote, which also, I believe, was bipartisan. Both have signed on to tell the administration to roll this back, but, Justin, it's expected President Biden's going to veto this thing. What is USCA encouraging their members to do to keep this fight going in D.C.? Well, I think we got to continue to push our senators and our congresspeople to make sure that if he does uh, veto it, that we can override it. And, and I think there's uh, definite possibilities that can happen. And, and that's going to take uh, a groundswell and, and people to stand up and say, uh, this is not what we want. And, and a very clear message that uh, uh, we, we need to make sure that we can control these uh, issues and not the big government uh, telling us what to do. So I, I think it's going to be huge. And I think it's one of those things where uh, many of the uh, cattle organizations, which we don't always agree, but uh, this is one of them where we've got to stand uh, hand in hand and make sure that uh, we can get this uh, back to manageable and, and workable for the people that are actually out there doing the job. That is a great point, Justin. At the end of the day, the folks working the land are the folks that generally have to live on the land. They're committed to keeping it nice and and making sure it's productive and returning for their families. And of course, we always see things in D.C. that can throw that asunder. WOTUS is one. We'll watch that battle play out the remainder of this year. But there's also a lot of discussion, Justin, around emissions in Washington, D.C. I understand John Thune, your senator there in South Dakota, along with Kristen Cinema, has introduced some uh, regulation their legislation that could help protect cattle producers there. Can you fill us in a little bit on what's coming? Well, I, I think, again, when we got to uh, have Congress talking about cow, cow farts, so to speak, that uh, maybe it's not the uh, highest uh, issues they ought to have to worry about. But we do thank Senator Thune uh, for introducing a bill to exempt uh, emissions from livestock. Uh, we know uh, uh, that, that this is an issue that some of the climate people would really like to push, and, and, and it's just been proven absolutely false. So uh, we've, we've got to make sure that uh, they can't come in here and dictate uh, how we uh, manage our cattle based on uh, some kind of emissions that they have uh, trumped up and made sure that uh, uh, it goes against the way that we work our cattle and the way we move them across the land. So uh, I think uh, Senator Thune is spot on there. Um, making sure that we we can, uh, again, um, manage the way we need to, not the way that the climate uh, people just want to trump up a a different uh, uh, narrative and make us uh, beat to that drum. Absolutely, Justin. I mean, do you think uh, Senator Thune has explored this issue? Do you think he has a deep understanding of of what's happening here with the emissions, particularly for cattle producers there in, in your state of South Dakota? I do. I think uh, without a doubt, Senator Thune definitely uh, uh, has a, a, a deep uh, recognition of how important it is, uh, especially in western South Dakota here. We're, we're in the grasslands. This is uh, the land is not suitable for uh, tillage. Uh, so it, it needs to be uh, managed and run with cattle. And, and that's how we convert some of those uh, legumes into uh, great tasting proteins. And uh, so I think, yes, Senator Thune uh, uh, grew up there. He's very astute in in uh, uh, this issue and i think uh, we appreciate him for bringing this forward absolutely just while we're talking here today i'd like you to take off your usca hat put back on your your south dakota cattleman's hat and talk a little bit about that grassland that you've got up there south dakota producers certainly hit by drought this past year this year there's a pile of snow on the ground are attitudes improving for those cattlemen in your state yeah you know we we've been uh, two or three years here uh, with uh, some extreme drought. Uh, we've, we've had some uh, moisture through the winter, giving us some hope. I think that uh, uh, definitely cattle numbers have taken a, a big hit here through, I'm talking eastern Montana, western South Dakota, western North Dakota, and eastern Wyoming, our trade area here. And and uh, I, I think we're going to see that reflect in, in some of the prices. It's just a sheer uh, less cattle around and, and uh, uh, the widespread drought from uh, north to south the last year has really elevated this issue. We've we've called a lot of cows, uh, so we're going to have to work to get those numbers back. But in the short term, uh, it can have some good effects on prices, and uh, we definitely look forward to that with all the uh, uh, inflation and and our input costs as high as they've been. So uh, we definitely need these prices to continue to climb. 
Absolutely. With the elevated price of inputs, it certainly is good to have those consumers demanding beef at the grocery store. But if with the numbers coming down, I've got to imagine, Justin, we'll hear more call for meat imports in this next year. USDA looking to allow imports from the country of Paraguay. USDA, I imagine, probably wouldn't love to see that happen, correct? No, we've called on the uh, secretary not only to uh, ban uh, from uh, those uh, Paraguay states, also uh, Brazil, uh, has proven to be a, a continual bad actor in this arena. Uh, and, and the longer we let those go, we've, we've called on the secretary to uh, uh, ban all imports from Brazil until they want to play from the civil, same level playing field that our producers have to. And uh, uh, right now that's not happening. So uh, I, I don't think uh, we always get into this issue and we talk about we want to be Totally, we want to have it all for ourselves and, and, and not have any competition. That's just not the case. We just want them to play on the same field, uh, the same rules, and, and, and abide by the same safety measures that we do. So uh, I think that applies to Paraguay and Brazil, uh, and we hope the secretary takes action soon on that. Absolutely. If they want to sit at the big table, they got to play with the big tables rules. Justin, you work with a lot of livestock producers there across the state. I'm curious about electronic IDs. What's USCA working on? What have you heard on that uh, particular goal here from the administration? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, our producers in this area definitely are interested in keeping our herds safe. So, uh, but we also don't want them infringing upon our uh, individual rights and, and telling us that we have to ID these cattle. I think there's ways that uh, we could get the government to sit down and work with us, that we could we could definitely uh, find viable ways that we can track these cattle in case of disease outbreak uh, without having to uh, go all the way to electronically IDing every uh, hoof and, and managing every uh, uh, movement of those as the way it goes. I think we have systems that are in place that can do that. Uh, we, we definitely believe that uh, uh, if we move forward with anything, it's got to be a way that we can uh, um, move in commerce and we can't uh, impede commerce because of uh, uh, some of these ID issues. So uh, it, it's a work in progress. Uh, we definitely would we would like to sit at the table and have the conversations, but uh, most of our producers in this area are not willing and do not want to be uh, forced to uh, put electronic IDs in all livestock just to have them ID'd. Absolutely. And you mentioned it's getting involved, having those conversations with regulators and legislators. I understand USCA will be doing their fly-in this summer, June 4th to the 7th. Justin, where can folks go to learn more about what USCA is working on? Yeah, absolutely. Go to uscattleman.org uh, and uh, sign up to come to our fly-in. We, we, we love to have producers there, and uh, I've always had uh, anybody that's come along to that has uh, been happy they did and uh, learned lots more about how government works. Absolutely. It's good to have a little bit of folks with some manure on their boots explaining how the industry works to our friends in D.C. Our thanks to Justin Tupper, president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, for joining us today. And folks, stay with us. We'll have more AOA coming up here when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Well, as we take a look at this market trade working through our Thursday, fairly quiet day ahead of Friday's big USDA reports with the prospective plantings, the planting attentions, and the quarterly grain stocks reports all coming up tomorrow. Overall, as we look at this market trade here, we started a little bit higher, now pulling back just a little bit. Weekly export sales, we saw old crop corn was a four-week low, but still on average uh, with what we've been seeing. Now, soybeans, wheat were modest, sorghum was solid, and soybean meal was up there as well, a higher end of expectations on the weekly export sales report with the Philippines, the top buyer. China was the featured buyer of corn, soybeans, and sorghum on the weekend in March 23rd. Speaking of China, they bought more U.S. corn overnight as we saw another uh, round of sales to China. That's 11 out of 13 days now that China has bought corn from the U.S. That number today was 178,000 metric tons. So watching to see all of that export business on the corn side continue, but it's holding this corn market relatively firm. Meantime, cattle and hogs are moderately higher. Hogs going to see a little bit of positioning ahead of this afternoon's quarterly hogs and pigs report. That is coming out after the close of trade. And cattle are just kind of trading along here as we get near the top end of the ranges once again. After we saw that dip, we've bought our way back towards the top end here in the cattle market. Energy's quiet, stock market quiet as well. Overall, we're mixed a couple of cents either side of unchanged throughout all grains, corn, beans, and wheat. And cattle and hogs are up just slightly here as we work through our trade. That is a check of the markets here this hour. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network, I'm Jesse Allen reporting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The grain trade as a whole is sitting fairly quiet today, gearing up and looking ahead for those numbers to come from the USDA tomorrow. We're going to talk with Jesse Allen, host of Market Talk, in just a moment about what he's heard from a range of expectations across the folks he speaks with every single day about the markets. But before we do that, even though those reports are coming, we have a lot more happening in the world of agriculture, and it's truly happening in the world, in South America, earlier today in the country of Chile, they reported their first case of HPAI, that highly pathogenic avian influenza, in a human. They say the case was detected in a 53-year-old man. He presented severe influenza symptoms, and they have noted that they ran the test. He confirmed HPAI. The patient is stable as of now, but this is another case. It comes on the heels of a few bird-to-human cases in Cambodia, certainly ramping up the global focus on that highly pathogenic avian influenza. There has also been a large global focus on grains coming out of the Black Sea region. We've heard a lot of conversation about the re-signing of that grain export corridor and the confusion about whether or not it would last for 60 or 120 days. Well, that confusion is having a ripple effect. Earlier this week, Cargill announced they will not be exporting any grains from Russia following the start of their next marketing season, which begins in that country on July 1st. Today, it was announced that Viterra, the Paris-based global grain trader, also is going to be backing out of any additional exports of Ukrainian grain 
here after that July 1st deadline. Jesse Allen, host of Market Talk, joins us now. And Jesse, global traders certainly are still keeping an eye on how wheat is moving around the world, aren't they? They definitely are, Mike. Thanks for having me on. And to your point about that story about Viterra and Cargill, we saw a lot of short covering in this wheat market on that news. And then once the market kind of digested it, that was part of you know, the pullback we saw on Wednesday's trade. And now it feels like we're really ramping up and kind of focusing in on Friday's quarterly grain stocks numbers, but also that prospective plantings report from USDA, which I, I know, Mike, uh, you know this, and a lot of folks listening in know this, typically a very volatile day in the markets. It certainly is. And folks, that voice is Jesse Allen. He serves as the Farm and Ranch Director for the American Ag Network, and he also hosts Market Talk, a daily hour-long program digging into the factors that are moving the commodity markets. And so, Jesse, you get the chance to talk with brokers and traders from across the spectrum of commodities. And I'm wondering, as we think about that planted acreage report tomorrow, what's the spread of analysts' expectations for the report? Well, I will first lay this out and, and give you the trade average guess that is out there ahead of the report uh, with what we're seeing and this is across all analysts the trade average looking like 90.88 million acres of corn 88.24 million of soybeans and then 48.85 of all wheat that's the average trade guesses now what i'm hearing from a few different folks not just one or more but you know one or the other but quite a few there's starting to be a bit of a bias towards more corn acres and less soybean acres. Uh, FBN, Farmers Business Network, they released their planting intentions report here this week. I talked to uh, Chief Economist Kevin McNew. He's going to be on Market Talk today, and he highlighted that their projected corn acreage, 92.5 million acres, while soybeans, 84.5 million so you can see they're wide compared to the pre-report average estimates i know agmarket.net they're in similar territory they're sitting around that 92 million acre mark for corn and and the thing that i'm hearing mike is from a lot of folks as they're saying we're going to pick up corn acres in some of those quote-unquote fringe states but also you know, you think about last year, the Northern Plains, we had a lot of prevent plan, a lot of weather concerns, drought. There's a lot of talk. There could be more cord acres in the Dakotas and Minnesota this year. And then also we there's talk that we could lose some cotton acres in the south and maybe see more corn acres there. Now, one caveat I'll say to this that I uh, love your thoughts on this as well, Mike. You know, if we're going to pick up cord acres in the north, that's great, but I think you, me, and a lot of folks know there is a ton of snowpack across the Northern Plains. There's a lot of chatter about prevent plant already. So, you know, we get these numbers coming up on Friday from USDA. Those will be the numbers. We'll trade them. But the thing to think about is that how is weather going to play a factor into whatever acreage number we get? And of course, the markets are going to shift hard and fast to trading the weather as we move past these reports. Absolutely, Jesse. And I think your comments about the snow up in the Northern Plains are certainly worth uh, worth discussing. And I think they're worth more, more thoughts here from the market. I was speaking to a producer up in North Dakota yesterday. More snow on the way for those folks. Temps are not getting above uh, freezing. When the temperature does warm up, the risk of flooding in that Red River Valley continues to grow. Now, Jesse, I'm also wondering, uh, we had the numbers here from Farm Futures come out earlier this week as well. And they're in that same camp as you identified. The idea that the corn profitability matrix looks a lot better across much of the growing nation, and they expect to see corn acres coming around 90 and a half million acres, kind of in that range of analyst expectations. And then their soybean number does come in a little bit lower, as you'd anticipate. They've got that coming in at 87 and change. So, Jesse, I think we are going to watch these numbers. Are you, are you hearing anything that growers need to be doing in advance of these reports tomorrow? Any marketing risk management advice you've heard from uh, the folks you connect with every day on market talk yeah the only thing that i keep hearing and of course you know i'm not an analyst so you know take this with a great assault this is what i'm hearing from the folks i talk with as you alluded to there mike make sure you're just managing that risk there is a lot of tools in the toolbox that you can work with and just make sure that you are taking care of the risk because we don't know what way the markets are going to go you don't want to 
necessarily catch yourself, you know, out in the wind, so to speak here. But the other thing too, is that take care of that risk management ahead of the reports because Friday report day, chances are you're not going to be able to do any trading. It's going to be so volatile. Most likely you're going to have to wait till next week as the dust settles. So make sure you take care of that risk management ahead of the reports and then regroup after the reports next week. Absolutely. And as a reminder, those reports will be coming out at 11 a.m. Central Time tomorrow. They drop at noon in Washington, D.C. The markets, no doubt, will be watching. Jesse, you'll be diving into the details on Market Talk. Tell our listeners, where can they go to hear it and uh, how often uh, does it air? It airs uh, every single weekday, a host of radio affiliates, uh, usually every afternoon. And then also you can find it on all your favorite podcast sources, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and more. It's also a video series on YouTube every weekday. You can find all the links, all the details very easily online, markettalkag.com. That's markettalkag.com. Well, thank you so much, folks. That's Jesse Allen, Farm and Ranch Director at the American Ag Network, host of Market Talk. Jesse, thanks so much for joining us here today. You bet, Mike. Thanks so much. Folks, as we heard earlier in the show from Chris Robinson, the concerns in the broader market are starting to fade into the background a little bit, and that increased again today. We saw a piece of news on the U.S. unemployment rate claims, first-time unemployment claims, ticked up for the first time in three weeks. Worth noting, Chairman Jerome Powell of the Federal Reserve has noted that labor strength is going to be one of the factors he's watching as to whether or not these interest rates continue to climb. The idea that first-time unemployment claims are rising might be an indication that the economy is starting to slow down. What isn't slowing down, however, is research into cell-cultured meat. We've talked about that a few times over the past two weeks on this program because we did see the FDA go ahead and issue a soft approval on the second cell-cultured meat product to be allowed in the United States. It's a chicken product from a company over in San Francisco. But over in the Netherlands on Tuesday night, a different kind of cell-cultured meat was unveiled. It was a meatball created from the genomic uh, material of a woolly mammoth. Folks, it is the the plot of Jurassic Park took place on Tuesday in the Netherlands. The, uh, the, the genetic uh, material of the mammoth was pulled out. It was extracted. It was used in partnership with some cells from sheep. And they grew a meatball of meat, allegedly, from the woolly mammoth. Now, it's worth noting this is not inedible. Uh, they do say that human beings have never consumed woolly mammoth meat, so they don't know how it would react with our DNA and everything. But it was on display there in the Netherlands on Tuesday. Cell-cultured meat continuing to come down the line. We'll see whether or not the regulators will continue to let it move forward. We do have some news on the firefighting front. As we get into summer, hopefully all of this rain and snow across the nation's midsection and mountain west will reduce the fire risk that we see across the west this year. But if it doesn't, it would have been expected that we would see fire retardant dropped from airplanes. It's one of those sites in fire country that is it provides some reassurance. They're out there. They drop that pink fire retardant material, and it helps keep the fires down. Well, the Forest Service is being sued over the usage of that material by its own employees. A group of Forest Service employees, Forest Service employees for the environment has gotten together, and they are suing the Forest Service, alleging that fire retardant chemicals leak into streams and rivers and cause pollution. It's entirely possible that this case is pending in the state of Montana right now. If it does move forward, and that remains to be seen, the judge still has to make a ruling. If it is allowed to move forward, this could mean the end of fire retardant chemical use across the West in the United States. We'll keep tracking that story as it moves forward. Hopefully we'll get a resolution before we get into the depths of fire season. Also, a quick story from Purdue and the National Pork Board. They got $500,000 in order to help continue researching pork production emissions. That greenhouse gas focus is here to stay. NPD and Purdue hopefully bringing some more knowledge to pork producers as we go forward. Folks, stay with us for more AOA when we come back. We're going to talk about a Supreme Court case that is providing more rights for America's landowners. Stay tuned.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Is your bathroom looking old and worn out? Want to update it, but you don't know where to start? Then let BCI Bath & Shower show you how to turn that old bath into an aisle of beauty and functionality. Our residential bathroom solutions provide the best value on the market, and our customer service is second to none. Our cost-effective BCI Bath & Shower family of products has what you need. Remodeling our bathroom was a big decision for us. They didn't make a mess out of our house at all. And at the end of the day, we had a beautiful new bathroom. And it was a great experience the whole way through. We have the best monthly payment programs in the industry, with payments as low as $68 per month, or no interest, no payments for 18 months. 
For a limited time, be one of the first 100 callers who schedule a free in-home consultation and receive $500 off. Call 800-721-9985 for a free no-obligation price quote. That's 800-721-9985. Factory trained and certified installers made in the USA and discounts for seniors and military. BCI Bath & Shower, the leader in affordable bathroom products. That's 800-721-9985. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. I know a lot of you listening are in rural areas across the country, and there's a tremendous amount of benefits that come from living in the countryside. You get the quiet, you get the peace, but also there's always the risk of trespassers. The question comes, what happens when the government is encouraging trespassing on your property? Well, recently, there was a Supreme Court decision that provides some new answers to that question. Joining us now is the attorney who took the case to the Supreme Court, Jeff McCoy, attorney with the Pacific legal foundation and jeff thanks for joining us here today thanks so much for having me I, I set this up as this was a trespassing case before the supreme court but it is a bigger story than that could you give us the thirty thousand foot view what was larry wilkins story before he went to the supreme court yes we um mr wilkins will he goes by will um he lives about an hour south of missoula montana uh, next to the bitterroot national forest um and, and he, it's, he bought it. It's a quiet place. Uh, there is an easement that the Forest Service has across his land to access it, but the easement is for limited use for the Forest Service and some permittees, uh, mainly logging, um, and, but also some ranching. But about uh, a decade and a half ago, the Forest Service decided to allow anybody on, which has caused a lot of problems. They, they invited the public on, and now uh, there are people who are illegally hunting, uh, including shooting from their cars near Will's house. Um, they had one, someone shot his cat, um, and there's a lot of problems. And so Will uh, filed this lawsuit and said, hey, uh, this easement doesn't allow the public on it. It just allows specific people, Forest Service officials, and their permittees to come on. Um, and that's how we got involved in the case. And Jeff, that's a fascinating part. He went to the Forest Service and he said, look, this is the easement. You can use it for logging and maintenance and that's it. And what did they tell him? How, what was the U.S. Forest Service response? Well, they said, no, we can do whatever we want. And if you don't like it, you can sue us. And well, he did. <laughs> and how did that suit go? You took it to the Supreme Court last year, Jeff. And what was the question before the court? Well, so we, we sued, but we didn't even get to the merits. We didn't get to the question of what does this easement say? Um, instead, it was prematurely dismissed uh, over a lot of procedural nuance and some, some legal technicalities. But ultimately what happened was Will was not able to make his case. He was not able to present his evidence and the, the case was dismissed. Um, and so we went up to the Supreme Court and said, hey, look, uh, this was dismissed too early. The, the statute that we brought this under, the Quiet Title Act, uh, um, is not supposed to be applied this strictly. It's supposed to be applied in a way that you can resolve these issues and that the district court uh, acted incorrectly, interpreted the, the act incorrectly and dismissed the case uh, too early. And just this week, uh, the Supreme Court agreed with us, said um, that the case can move on. And now we're going to head back to the district court to make our case about what the easement says. All right. So these legal questions, it's kind of a do-si-do. You do -si -doed up to the Supreme Court, got the approval to use the Quiet Title Act in the way that, that you believe it should be used. Now you do -si do back to the district court. And then does Will have to go through the entire court process once again? Yeah, it's already been about five years that he's done this, four or five years, and now we got to start, we're basically uh, right back at the beginning, uh, which is unfortunate, but uh, Will, uh, to his credit, he, he is a fighter, and he said, look, we, we, got, it. we got our chance now. Um, we, we were dismissed, but now we got a fighting chance, and, and he believes strongly that he, in his interpretation, and knows that even though it's more work, he's happy to... Uh, to take, take it on. 
And so now you're going back to the beginning, but the important part is the the rules of the game have changed at the beginning. Now you're going in with the Quiet Title Act uh, at your back. Jeff, what's the timeline look like now to get some kind of resolution? Yeah, that's that's a big question. These cases, as you can imagine, I mean, we already have gone several years just to get to the point where we can argue the case. So it's going to probably be a couple more years before we can get a decision. Um, Hopefully we can uh, get it. There are some things that we've already done that should speed up the process and hopefully we can get it sooner rather than later. But yeah, it is going to be a long process. But in the meantime, we've got it on record now, as I understand, Supreme Court has said you've got to take a closer look at this this Quiet Title Act and how it's applied. Jeff, does this decision from SCOTUS have any uh, applicability to other landowners here across the country? Is this something that can have a longer term impact on the legal discourse? Yeah, absolutely. Because in short, what this does is it allows more property owners to bring suits. It makes it easier when there is a dispute over uh, what the government owns and what a private property owner owns, it, this will bring make it easier to bring that case and ultimately get the resolution that the property owners want. Uh, I've already had some attorneys reach out to me. Um, there, there's a lot of these cases going along in the West, as you can imagine, where a private property is close to uh, Forest Service or BLM land. And I've had attorneys reach out and said, this is a problem. They've used this procedural interpretation to stall our cases at many different stages and that this decision in Wilkins is now going to make it easier for them to reach the merits of the case, which is what we all want to do is actually have a court interpret uh, these easements and these agreements. All right. So rather than just looking at the text of it, you want to actually look at how they're being used and have the the freedom to do that. Jeff, PLF, Pacific Legal Foundation, of course, very active on a lot of these type of concerns. For folks who want to keep up to speed with the work your group is go, is doing, where can they go for more information? Yeah, uh, you can go to our website at pacificlegal.org. Um, and yeah, we, we even have, mine was one of three Supreme Court cases that we have this term, all about private property rights and, and the ability to use uh, private property. And it, yes, we welcome anybody to read more about our work at pacificlegal.org. Absolutely. One of those cases PLF tried was the Sackett case against WOTUS. So no doubt we'll have a representative from Pacific Legal on again as that decision comes down from the Supreme Court. Our thanks to Jeff McCoy, who joined us there for that last segment, folks. Thanks to all of you for tuning in today. Tune in tomorrow. We're going to talk banking with our friends at the Independent Community Bankers Association about rural banks. Stay tuned. We'll see you then. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800 209 That's 800-209-6416. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations 
solutions to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.